Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode 135. And in this episode, we'll discuss the concepts of gambling and speculation. Are they the same or are they very different? A lot of people get confused between the two topics. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. I call it the three E's. The first E is to be educated. To be educated about personal finances and improving your financial literacy is really important. And that leads to the second aim, which means with education and improved literacy, it empowers you, which means you can take that knowledge and when you speak to your accountant or credentialed financial advisor, you can speak at a level that both of you can understand in. And the third E is to be entertained. Just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions after listening to one of my episodes back to your financial advisor. In other words, don't listen to some random guy ranting on the internet about money. But if you're looking on broad principles on what to do, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is you've got to pay yourself first. It means you've got to take at least 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. Why? Because you're the most important person in your life. Step two is you've got to take that money and invest it, ideally into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market, so I just put my money in the stock market. Step three is you've got to reinvest dividends. The power of compounding by reinvesting dividends is phenomenal. Step four is you've got to do it for the long term. Now, I'm not talking five, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking at least 20, 30, if not 40 plus years, which means the longer you do it, the better it is for you, which means the earlier you start, the better it is for you. And step five, my favorite, is automation. Wherever possible, automate the investments forever. Now, if you just followed these five simple steps over the long term, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. And money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Now, before I go on to the main topic of gambling versus speculation, I had a question from Anonymous who asks, Hi Dev, thanks for what you do. I'm overwhelmed with the number of choices of investments in the stock market we have. It's almost as if there's too much choice. Is there a way to make the decision simpler? Love the pods, keep it coming. 
Thanks, Anonymous. And this is actually a very common problem many people face. It is the most common question I get. And that is, where do you put your 20% of after-tax income? Which sort of investments in the stock market do you choose? So I get this question a lot. Now, I take a very simplistic approach to personal finances. I'm not a maximizer, which means I don't try and squeeze every cent in the dollar. I go for the big ticket items. And of course, I pay a premium for the convenience. The question was about how to choose an investment. But before I get to that, you need to start paying yourself first. Take a set percentage of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your investment money. Now, if you don't do this, there is absolutely no point in thinking about picking an investment. That is, the investment returns of zero money invested is zero. Now, once you've done the pay yourself bit, the next question is, what do you do with it? Where do you put your money when it comes to the stock market? Now, the fundamental question you need to ask yourself is, do you want to actively invest in the stock market? Or do you want to invest passively in the stock market? Active investing is picking and choosing stocks or ETFs. And passive investing is just picking a broad market index fund and sticking with it. Let the index fund do the hard work for you. Now, once you've chosen your investment style, the next question is, how long do you want to invest for? Now, in my opinion, and humble opinion at that, I think 20 years is minimum. The mainstream financial people say 5, 7, 10 or 15 years. I still think the whole point of investing is creating behaviours which are sustainable over the long term. And for me, long term is not 5 or 10 years. I'm talking 20 years at least. So 20, 30 or 40 years are the best options. In my case, I plan to never stop investing. I'll do it forever. Because even in my retirement, I'm not going to spend all the money that I get from my investments. I'm going to still follow the principles of paying myself first, after tax, 20% of my income, and putting it aside. So now that you've chosen your time horizon, you need to think about your risk profile. Here's the deal, right? The risk of investing in the stock market is almost zero over the long term, such as 20 years or more. 99 out of 100 times you invest in the stock market over the long term, you're going to make money. So when people say investing in the stock market is risky, what they really mean is investing in the stock market is volatile. Volatility is not risk. Now, if you want to know the difference between the risk and volatility, I did a detailed episode on this uh, back in episode 48. I talk about this, so go back and listen to it. Master this concept. It's really important. You need to know the difference between risk and volatility. Now, once you've done all this, it's a matter of figuring out in which of the global markets you want to invest. So I prefer to invest in the Australian market. Others prefer to invest in the North American markets. Some people invest in Asia. Other people invest in Europe. It doesn't matter, but you need to figure out where you want to put your money. Or you might say you want to put your money everywhere, a global fund. Now, 
again, you know, do you want Canadian, European, Australian, American? But the fundamental thing here is you need to figure out markets that you know and understand and trust. So you're not going to say, I'm going to invest in the American market because, you know, my uncle does. Well, your uncle may be investing in the American markets because he understands the American markets. So the fundamental concept here is you need to understand what you invest in. If you're not sure, you might want to pick something that's got a bit of everything in it. There are funds out there where your money gets diversified across the world. And the best way to explain this is when you go shopping, you don't just buy bread or just buy yogurt or just buy pasta or chocolate. You buy a bit of everything. So every time you go shopping, think about it like going to the stock market and investing in those products because those products are made by businesses. And those businesses are often publicly traded. And just like going shopping and buying, you know, various products out of multiple aisles, and each of those aisles may represent sectors in the stock market, sectors in the economy. Um, And each of those aisles may, you know, if you're thinking about a global fund, you, you might think each of those aisles represent particular countries or particular geographical, you know, locations for investing. So when you go shopping, you get a bit of everything. Now, of course, you know, your staples are going to be rice and bread and milk and cheese and all that sort of stuff. But you are going to get some pasta. You are going to get some chips. You are going to get some chocolate. You are going to get some ice cream. You are going to get some meat. You are going to get some fish. You are going to get some eggs. So investing in the stock market is very similar. You just need to invest in things that you understand. Just like when you go shopping, you buy things that you understand and know and trust. So, you know, personally, I love Cadbury's chocolate. I love it. You know, I've tried Hershey's and I've tried Lind and, you know, various brands. But Cadbury's, they nail it every single time. And, you know, when I want M&M's, you know, or M&M equivalents, I buy M&M's, which I think is from Mars, you know, chocolate factory or something like that. Whereas in Europe, in in the UK, people like Smarties. Now, I don't like Smarties because they don't taste as good as M&M's. So I buy M&M's because I know the brand, I trust the brand, I know that I like it. So when you eat things that you know and understand, you should invest in things that you know and understand. It's as simple as that. So the next question then becomes your fees, your expense ratio. You want to keep your fees in general less than 0.5%. That's a very general sort of fee structure that I prefer. Because I think anything greater than 0.5%, you've got to really ask yourself, what are you getting in return for that? Whereas anything less than 0.5% generally is not going to kill your investment. So whether you're getting 0.1% or 0.07% or 0.12% or 0.15%, you know, that's all small fish. And that's what I mean that I focus on the big things. So keep your costs low, but don't fret too much about that 
0.04% expense ratio difference between the investment in one particular broker or ETF versus another broker or ETF? Because I get this question a lot. And I think when you waste time on such minutiae, you lose time on the investing time horizon. And you sort of go down the path of paralysis of analysis, and that's a red flag. So, you know, keep your expense ratio less than 0.5%. Then look at the various investment funds, active or passive or brokerage fees, etc., and keep it to a minimum. So let's go through a real-life example. Amy is 28 years old and she's married and has a plan to raise a family in the next five years. She's a nurse with an annual income of approximately $100,000 plus super. Her partner, who's an engineer with an income of $125,000 plus super. So the combined family income, excluding super, is around $225,000 per annum. So she's gone through the various investment options in the stock market, and her preference is passive investment, a time horizon of 40 years, a risk profile, which is the stock market, wants to invest in a diversified fund, which has Australia, North American markets mostly, and she then filters the various funds based on the fee structures and ensures she selects a good company with a long-term track record. That's pretty much it. She doesn't need to consistently and constantly make these decisions every single time she puts money into the index fund or ETF or stock market, given that she's a passive investor. She makes this decision once. And that decision may take weeks, but it shouldn't take months. Then she basically saves 20% of after-tax income from the family income and puts it into the selected fund. She decides her one fund has enough diversification to account for her needs. Now, I get a fair few questions about people trying to roll their own ETFs or index funds or stock market products and end up with 20% here and 20% there and 30% somewhere else. If they want to, I tell them that's fine, but it doesn't need to be that complex. You literally can start invested with just one broadly diversified ETF or index fund for passive investors and start investing. Now, the biggest risk when I speak to healthcare workers is they just wait and wait and wait and let the market do its thing while they're waiting. And eventually, due to paralysis of the analysis, they don't invest anything at all. Again, the investment return of zero money invested is zero. It's 100% the same each and every time. It's predictable. And healthcare workers are very, very profound at this risk. I mean, they, they tend to analyze things so much because when you're in healthcare, you've got a certain personality of being in healthcare. You know, the loving, the kind, the caring people, etc. But healthcare workers can be a little bit anal. They can be perfectionists. So when you're in their environment all the time, we have very little room for error. In the world of investing, that can potentially stuff you up. Because in the world of investing, the little things don't matter. It's the big big things. It's the saving, paying yourself first. It's actually investing that matters. It's not whether you're going to you know, pick the right fund and, and, and sort of lose out if you don't pick the right fund, if it's broadly diversified. Well, you know, yeah, look, I mean, over the last 30 years, 
if you invested in the Australian stock market alone, you would have made about 10% per annum. If you invested in the US stock market, you might have made about 11%. But that doesn't mean investing in the Australian stock market is bad. That doesn't mean that you've lost money. You've made money. You just haven't made as much money as the person that invested in the US stock market. But that's 1%. Now, yeah, 1% over 40 years compounds and it's you know a decent amount. But you're still better than most people. I mean, for the person that didn't invest, didn't have anything. They lost money because they hoarded money into their bank account. And over those 30 or 40 years, the purchasing power of that money actually reduced. So when you're a healthcare worker, and when you work in environments where there's very little room for error, that I find is a bit of a risk for you, where I constantly come across, you know, doctors and nurses who are very good at their job, but are just very bad investors because they never get started. Now, the next thing Amy will need to do for her investment is she's got to set up her accounts in such a way that 20% is automatically taken into another savings account or investment account and set up her dividend reinvestment plans improve her income status as much as possible before taking some time off work due to raising a family, and also the same for a husband. Maximise your income, and that's pretty much it. So I did some basic sums for Amy. Again, it's a real-life scenario, all right? This is not far-fetched or untrue. This is based on a real-life scenario. I've just named this person Amy, but there are a lot of Amys like this around, and, and, and this particular person happens to be someone that I know. So you know, I've just done some basic, basic sums for them. So I calculated that that their monthly after-tax income is around $12,500. Household. 20% of pay yourself money is around $2,500. And if they're just invested in a broad market passive ETF returning around 8% per annum with an expense ratio of 0.2%, now, assuming they never get a pay rise over the next sort of you know thirty or forty years, and they never buy any other investments outside of this, and never do anything to their super, they're going to have around seven and a half million dollars. Now, supposing I'm half wrong, a lot of people say, "Oh, eight percent dev is just unrealistic over 30, 40 years time." Fine, if I'm half wrong. That's still $3.75 million in their retirement portfolio. But the reality is they're going to have super. They'll perhaps get an inheritance from their parents at some point, although you should never plan your retirement on an inheritance. And they're likely to improve their income over the period. And this is assuming they only save 20% of after-tax income. A lot of people save the entire income of one person in the household. So in this particular case, Amy may choose to save her entire $100,000 income and live on her partner's $125,000, which is a pretty good wicket. So you don't need to panic. Stick to a simple plan and execute it. Use a structure. More people don't retire with enough, not because they don't make any money in their life, it's because they never get started investing early enough. Now, supposing Amy didn't start at age 28. Supposing she waited to age 38, so 10 years later, she would still have about $3.5 million. And again, if I'm half wrong, 
she would still have about 1.75 million. Sorry, when I say she, I'm talking about her and her family. It's not just her. So just by waiting 10 years, the difference is almost 50% less in a retirement portfolio. Now, 1.75 million or 3.5 million, it's not bad, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, but 7.5 million is better. It's a big difference. So don't wait. Get started now. Now to the main topic of gambling versus speculation. What is gambling? Well, this is when the person who's gambling expects a negative return. The gambling occurs on an event with an uncertain outcome. And the hope is they win some money. Compare this to speculation. This is when a person who's speculative expects a positive return. The speculation occurs based on a calculated risk, and the hope here is they make more money. In both cases, we're embarking on a financial transaction. And in both cases, we have uncertain outcomes. But in the case of the speculator, we do some research and calculate the risk, then put the money in. In the case of the gambler, we know we're likely to lose the money. There is no calculated risk, and the expected return is almost always negative. So why do people gamble then? It's a form of entertainment, right? Not a form of investing. That's the big difference. So let's look at speculation in more detail by using an example. Amy is 28 years old and has about $100,000 to invest in the stock market. She has a few options, but she decides to use $80,000 into a broad market index fund and use $20,000 to do some active investing based on market research. She notices that cell therapy is an up-and-coming healthcare sector innovation and comes across company ABC, which specialises in this health technology. She does her market research and notices year-on-year profits rising and forecasted profits to be higher. Given they have an early entrant advantage in this sector in Australia, she decides to put in $20,000 into this company. Now, Amy is aware of the risks, the rewards, the costs associated with this, and she's also smart enough to put 80% of her money into a broad market index fund. That's her staple, and she won't be touching it. Now, there are two possible scenarios. Company ABC invests new cell therapies and gets TGA approval. Now, TGA stands for Therapeutic Goods Administration. And as a result, the company is able to offer new therapies in the health space and improve their customer base and profits. And Amy's $20,000 investment rises in value in a very short period of time, let's say two to three years. Amy then has the option of one, cashing out her investment, or two, keeping it invested in the same company. Now, the other possible scenario is the TGA doesn't actually approve any of the therapies proposed by company ABC, and we know without approval, they can't do any marketing or sales, and their company share price plummets to 50% of the float price. This means Amy's investment of $20,000 is now only worth $10,000 and unlikely to improve over time. Amy then has the same option of cashing out her investment for a loss or keeping it in the hope that the company's products will be TGA approved. So she, you know, keeps it within the company. That's the other option. Now, for overseas investors, uh, sorry, listeners, beg your pardon, the TGA in Australia is equivalent of the FDA in America. So 
that basically approve all therapies and all products and services associated with healthcare in Australia. Everything's regulated by this TGA, which is, I think, an arm of the government, which I think it's true. Now, let's look at gambling in more detail. This is just a game of chance. The odds are always stacked against the person gambling, and compared to speculation, the chances of losing your money in gambling is much higher. There is no research involved. So let's use an example to highlight this point. Again, Amy is 28 years old and has about $100,000 in spare money. She has a few options, but decides to use $80,000 again in a broad market index fund and use about $15,000 in some active investing. She wants to use the remaining $5,000 on some gambling and entertainment products. She likes to play the lotto on a regular basis and figures out if she played every single day, a $5,000 will last approximately 100 days of buying lotto tickets, with average price being about $50 per ticket. Amy is aware of, one, risk of losing all of her money, two, and there is no research involved, and three, it's a form of entertainment and can be addictive. Now, the rewards are usually significantly higher in gamblers than if Amy had used the same money to speculate on investments. And there's often a social aspect to gambling, like sports betting or pokies, and often it's done in an entertainment fashion. Now, here's a case in point. If you find investing entertaining, you might not actually be investing. You may be speculating or gambling. So be very careful about the rush you may get from market volatility, particularly with the stock market. Now, I get a lot of messages from people that made a fair bit of money on crypto or stocks or whatever that they invest in. And they get really excited. And my response is, I'm really happy for you, but just be careful. Because if investing is exciting... It's a potential red flag. Now, is there a situation where people think they're investing, but they're actually just gambling? And the answer is yes. This is when people buy and sell things, usually stocks, for the emotional high, for the excitement of markets. When this happens, they often display the wealth effect. They feel better when their stocks go up, so they may want to take more risk for their next stock purchase. And this is how investors get into trouble. They tend to invest more when they see the market go up, but that is exactly the opposite of what you're technically meant to be doing, especially if you're a market timer. Investing is all about systems and processes and behaviour. It's actually not much to do with technical analysis at all for the vast majority of regular investors. Dare I say the vast majority of listeners to this podcast channel, you don't need to technically analyse a company. So keep it simple, keep it consistent, keep it relatively cheap, and keep it for the long term. And please start investing. That's about it for this episode. Speculation versus gambling. Know the subtle differences. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using because leaving a review and leaving a five-star review and five-star rating, so, you know, 
you know, give me a five-star rating, but also leave a great review because it makes it a lot easier to promote the podcast. And a lot of people tend to read those reviews and if they like it, they'll listen to it. And on that note, I found this great review by Jono who writes, Dev, mate, you're going to change people's lives with the knowledge you're sharing. I knew some stuff, but I certainly have learned a lot. Thank you from another Melbourneite on the same journey. Cheers, Jono. Thank you very much, Jono. Um, great that you're another Melbourneite. Um, as I'm recording this, um, hopefully, you know, we, we've certainly exited lockdown a fortnight ago, but um, hopefully there's less restrictions coming, I hear, in the grapevine later this week, so which is fantastic. And traffic is horrendous, which is a sign that people are out and about. So my travel time has probably increased by another 20 minutes. So lockdown was great for traffic, but unfortunately now traffic is bad, but that's okay. I can live with that. Um, And it's really nice to see restaurants open, pubs open. Nice to see people outside without masks. Um, And, you know, Melbourne is Melbourne. We will roar back. We will come back. And uh, I'm I'm no bigger fan uh, than me when it comes to Melbourne because, you know, lived here for the last twenty odd years and I think it's fantastic. Um, and when I speak to you know people that I've known for many years that have lived in other states and other cities, um, they all agree. You know, we we've had a terrible time with COVID in the last you know twenty months or so, and. Yeah, lockdowns have been rubbish and crap and, you know, it's been really tough for a lot of people, uh, individuals, children, businesses, um, but we're, we're coming back. Um, I don't think we're going backwards. I don't think we'll go back to lockdown ever um, and people are getting vaccinated. We're going to reach our 90% double vax target, I think, next week and borders are opening up. Things are looking positive. So, why do I feel excited about the future? I'm always excited about the future, but but now more than ever because we can get back to potential normal lives. Yes, COVID is around and, um, you know, I, I still, you know, talk to people that have COVID and all that sort of stuff as a healthcare worker, but it's nowhere near as frightening and nowhere near as difficult as what it has been in the last, you know, six to 12 months. Um and kudos to my colleagues at work, kudos to all the healthcare workers um, and all the frontline staff, you know, the people at Coles and Woolies at Maccas, um, all the people in retail that, you know, have showed up to work and put themselves at risk um, for the benefit of their customers. And that includes me. Like, I love a good Maccas coffee. Uh, I love going to Coles and shopping and all that sort of stuff. So congratulations. And it's really nice to to, to sort of... Um, you know, head back to normality in some way. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, two years of experience we've all had. And I think the learning points here is, particularly from a financial point of view, is um, why it's so important to stay invested, why it's so important to not panic, and why it's so important to realise that what you're really investing in is humanity. Uh, because humans always strive to do better, um, and the next challenge in the next sort of, you know, 20, 30 years is going to be climate change. And uh, I am forever an optimist. I think we will come up with a solution for this. 
I know there's a fair bit of negativity in the media when you talk to people about who are really worried about it. But I think humans will do it. I think we're smart. We will come up with a strategy for it. And I heard even ScoMo, our Prime Minister, who I thought was literally made out of coal, uh, is incentivizing electric vehicles. So, you know, even, you know, if ScoMo is electric, you know, incentivizing electric vehicles, um, you know that, um, you know, we're heading down the right track. I mean, it would be lovely to see Australia do a lot more in terms of climate change. But, um, you know, Australia will be forced to act on climate change because other countries already have. Um, so when it comes to EVs, etc., other countries are fast producing EVs and adopting EVs at a faster rate than Australia. And we will be forced. And in the next sort of 10 years, we'll have a lot more EVs on the road, no doubt. And we'll have a lot less ICE cars on the road, and we'll have a lot more choice for EVs compared to ICE cars, and there'll be price parity. It's inevitable. So whatever, you know, our politicians think about EVs and, you know, climate change, whatever, it's happening. Um, And I think we'll be forced into it, which I think is good for humanity. uh, And it's good for business. Um, You know, it's, it's okay to support industries that provide innovative ways for people to, you know, make use of and grow and prosper. Now, that's enough of me ranting. This is Devraga Personal Finance. Uh, remember to like the Devraga Facebook page and also questions and comments or topic suggestions. Share the channel with family and friends. And remember, always pay yourself first 20% of after-tax income. And learn about gambling and speculation, the similarities and differences. And remember, investing should be boring. It should not be too exciting. This is DevRucker Personal Finance, episode 135. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.